This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey, thank you all so much. The gold standard of automotive aftermarket podcasts, uh, business acumen podcast. Good to have you here. It's Carm Capriato and Dan Taylor. Good morning, Carm. How are you this morning? Hey, Dan Taylor, Senior Business Advisor, Transformers Institute. I just typed your name into the website and saw all these episodes that you've done with me and so good. Good stuff. I love to pick your brain on that stuff. Recently, uh, I was with you hanging out in the flesh at the end of June, at the end of June 2023 at Scruggs Automotive. You brought the Transformers COO contingent there, and I walked away with, oh, man, a ton of, I mean, great episodes, great stuff, profound stuff. Good stuff is always coming out, and you're always bringing uh, great stuff here to the podcast. We're going to talk about the roadmap to success, and I love this. As Dan is a facilitator of a COO group, you've been in business, you still have your own shop, and being, the, if you will, as we were just talking off, off camera, the A-dog or the, the lead dog of an organization, roadmaps to success, not only personally, but for your people, are critical. And I don't think we think about it like that. I don't think we think of the word roadmap when we're trying to find a career path for people or, or, or themselves. Here's where this came about. I was supposed, supposedly taking a couple of days off, and I, I actually did take <laughs> a little bit of downtime. And then I find myself boring, and I wake up at 3 in the morning. I think that's a great idea. Uh, let me run that by Carm and see if he'd be willing Wait a minute. To do I, I'm in your dreams in, in the morning? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, in a good way. A pl- purely platonic, safe. Uh, it's a safe place to be good, with good, good, good. Hey, plan to be at Apex 2023, October 31st through November 2nd. Apex will build upon the incredible success of Joe's Garage, a full 10-day working environment. If you earn your living in the auto service aftermarket, then Apex is for you. Hey, let's face it. Your shop management system is the most critical tool in your shop. And Napa Tracks will move your shop into the SMS fast lane with on-site training, six days a week support, and local representation. Find Napa Tracks on the web at napatracs.com. We got a new dog. We lost our dog of uh, 13 years last year. So our new dog is named Chica, and she was a rescue, and she had been a stray dog and several other things. Sweet, sweet dog. What's interesting is she watches television. And our other dog never watched television, right? And I thought, what an interesting thing. So we can literally put on YouTube dog channels, and she'll sit there and stare at the television for two hours at a time. And I thought, you know what? A lot of life is just repackaging and giving things in a different light, right? Because one dog didn't see any of that, and and yet another dog saw saw it. And we think about people, right? And then Sometimes it's just a repackaging of a similar message that might resonate in a different way. And so that's where this sparked. Uh, and of course, it was on my day off and I got up early and went, oh, okay. You know, these are things I go over a lot with my leadership groups. They're proof sources. They're things that work. They're not granule, but they're certainly big picture items that work over and over again. And I can guarantee success if folks will follow this roadmap and look at these major road markers, as you will, and double check their speed and where they're going, destination from A to B, whatever it might be. And these components that we put on a, a, on a, a PowerPoint are really an easy way to check and go, you know, what, how am I doing here? Uh, do we need to do we need to reassess here? Do we need to take another look at this? Um, is this something that we need to upgrade? Do, do I need to tweak the way we're looking at this? Uh, adopt a different philosophy? But I, I will guarantee these seven major components 
are things that will help people succeed. And I also wanted to repackage them for my same groups because I usually just go through them on a worksheet or we put them on a whiteboard. Uh, I'm actually at our, our meeting room and we have a whiteboard we roll out. And I thought, you know what? I need to represent this in a different way, just like our old dog didn't see it, but our new dog does see it in a different light. So when you talked about the word uh, mile markers or, or were they the mileage markers, uh, road signs along the way, I've always felt, Dan, that every decade was something unique and different for me. And when you just said this, I thought a little deeper about that and realized that within that 10-year mindset decade, if you will, life map, career map, there were probably chunks of two or three years at a time where I was searching for goals or making big moves. And so it's not like it's the entire 10 years, but it's the chunks inside of those, if you will, decades or mile markers of time. And uh, thanks for letting me rethink that. Yeah, I love the word picture. If we look back at the, just the conversations that you and I have had, right, these major components do make a difference, right? Gross uh, profit, protecting that. Retention of key employees. And that's one of the things, uh, in fact, it's the, the, the second slide. We also talked about dispatch, right? These things are right in front of us, but sometimes we need to have somebody else give, give us some different insight on it. We sometimes look around and go, well, where am I at? Roadmaps are a great way to get re recalibrated, right? To figure out exactly where you're at. I, this particular list that we have put together for everybody today, they can take the, take a look at this and identify, okay, which, which areas do I need to focus on, right? I know I'm on the right interstate. I'm going the right direction. Are there some things I need to be aware of? Dan brought a PowerPoint. At every podcast we do on Remarkable Results Radio, the Aftermarket Weekly Show and or the Town Hall Academy, all four shows that we produce for you every week are on YouTube. And if you can't find that in the show notes, there's always a link to the YouTube channel or go to Carm Capriato on YouTube and subscribe and you'll get all this stuff. So Dan's going to speak to the PowerPoint slides, but if you want to actually watch us talk about that slide, just go to the YouTube channel, watch us on YouTube. A lot of folks have followed this roadmap. And the other thing I can probably with a very high degree of confidence say, all these components, whether they're repackaged, everyone that has succeeded has followed these road markers, right? Or these, this roadmap. And so the first thing on that roadmap that we got to focus on is, is clients. And I'm always amazed that sometimes we don't track this like we should. Because one of the things I love about millennials and, and really anybody on, in, in millennial or X-Gen uh, or Z-Gen, is that they they have a mindset of working smarter, not harder. And I, boy, I applaud that because I'm a grinder. I, I will outwork just about anybody. But as I've gotten older and speak about roadmaps, you know, I passed third base in my career. I'm heading home. Uh, how can I pass on wisdom? But one of the things I pick up in, in my interaction with younger folks is their absolute love for working smarter, not harder. And I, I sure appreciate that. So retention-wise, my goodness, we've got to do the things we need to do to keep our clients, and we should measure that. We should measure it as a trend, right? And I know I, I track this with probably somewhere in the range of 300 stores around the country. There's different market variables. For example, uh, Greg Bunch's shops that are in Colorado Springs, we have 34% military. There is going to be a constant turnover. In fact, statistically, the entire market of Colorado Springs or El Paso County, which is about uh, 600,000 people, turns over every seven to eight years, uh, seven to 10 years, because people are moving in and out with their, with their different assignments. So his retention, 
on, on a really great year is maybe 65% or 70%. And then it will dip all the way down into the, to the mid to low 50s. He's never going to be at a level where he's exceeded 80, 85, 90%. And there are shops out there that literally have a retention of clients that exceed 80 and 85%. And just think about how much easier it is on your business, how much easier it is on your technicians, how much easier it is really ultimately on your clients. There's already that relationship built. It's like having a dentist or a doctor or someone else that we see for services on a regular basis. Uh, Stan's Automotive up in uh, Louisville, uh, Colorado, they have been in business and there's obviously correlations between the length of time you've been in business and retention. They consistently run over 90% retention after uh, 50 years. In fact, they went to their 50th celebration about a month ago, 50 years in business, and 90% of their clientele. I encourage people to figure out how to measure that themselves, whether it's one visit every 12 months, one every nine months. With the pandemic, it got a little bit out of whack. But uh, again, just you, you want to measure that. You want to, and if you don't have a measurement now, figure out how to measure it and start trending that, right? And if it's floating around a little bit, that's normal. Uh, but if things suddenly get way out of whack and you look and you go, wow, we've dropped 10, 15, 20% retention, something has changed internally, whether it's marketing, personnel, something's different. So again, one of the, to me, one of the key, key things is let's keep our clients. Let's work smarter, not harder. You know, Dan, about retention, how many shops out there really know how to measure that? It could be a nebulous thing. I mean, so I haven't seen someone for a year. Doesn't mean they left the town. They left me. If I'm not marketing to them, then how do I know that there's any communications, any feedback, any texting, any replies, any idea on how to get a feel for that? If we see somebody with their car, we have a Euro shop, Anyone with their car in the family within a year, we still have an attachment. We still connect with them, and we count that as a retained client. So this will be our third full year. We are between 85 and 90% retention month to month because now we look back, hey, we haven't seen this person. We even reach out, hey, did, is there anything we can do to, to help you? Uh, so we'll, we'll make uh, lost, I don't know if it's considered lost, but somebody we haven't seen for a while, we'll make a phone call, see what's going on. Did they buy a new vehicle, which is now under warranty, et cetera, et cetera? Did they move, right? I mean, we have communities that people move move a lot. Did they pass away, right? That, that happens. So you're never going to hit 100% retention just because life is going to deal some things out to you. But uh, one of the things that's a little bit challenging is the point of sale systems. And, and obviously we know with the, the more reputable ones are they've kind of narrowed the scope. There's, you know, three or four major players now that seemed everybody seems to attract to. You've got to a lot of times go in there and manually manipulate the data, right? You've got to pull reports. What I encourage folks is if you have to pull this on your own, this is such an important number that go man- manually pull the darn thing. You got to do a little work. And you got to put some passion into understanding your customers and you can't take them for granted. And you have to say, well, this didn't work. Maybe that will work. Retention can be uh, one of the keys to growth because you're, you're marketing for new business all the time. You're trying to replace what you feel is a 20% loss. You may not have that, but you still should never take your pedal off the marketing effort. You will have loss of clientele no matter what you do. People move. They relocate, they get a different job, they buy a different car, they inherit a car. I mean, there's, there's 50 things that could happen to them where you, you didn't do anything wrong. Life circumstances changed and they're no longer a viable cl- a, a client for you right now. So yes, to your point, we've got to market, you got to market, you got to market. We want to be smart about it, right? You don't want to 
overmarket if you don't need it, if, if you've got great, great retention, right? And think about all the other things that great retention does, stability, financial stability of the organization and, and everything else. So that kind of takes us to the next thing, right? Talk about stability of an organization. And I know we did a podcast three or four months ago regarding this. It is critical to have client retention or internal client retention, right? Your internal team and I know this from watching it from a distance over the last six or seven years with all the uh, organizations we interact with. The last numbers I've seen, and, and I don't think they've changed that much, is industry-wide, we run somewhere between 30 and 35% uh, turnover. I've worked at different verticals, medical verticals, education verticals, uh, other services and manufacturing. A lot of other verticals are in that 10 to 15% turnover range. We have a higher turnover and it's very costly. So you're going to get great people on your team because you're a great organization, right? Sometimes people will say it, but they're not really that great organization. You have to be from A to Z. It's got to be in the DNA. And that's where, where he was talking about, uh, you know, some of the mission statements and things like that. That's where that stuff's all really critical is that everybody in your team has to believe in what you're doing, the why, right? The Simon Simic why. They have to have a mission behind what, what, why they're there individually. Whatever we can do to maintain our retention, uh, retain our clients, and I'm always in favor of spend the extra effort to save an employee instead of them leaving. Unless they're a cancer, and I know we you have guests on that speak about that, you got to cut cancer out. But my own personal HR philosophy is 98% of everybody really wants to come to, 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 to work and do a good job and feel valued and feel like they're providing value that they're being compensated for. Great points. That episode that you and you and I did. Uh, who else was with us? Uh, it was David, David Asquith and Brian uh, Caulfield. Right. It was great. It was uh, Town Hall Academy three twenty seven. And the Chris Lawson episode that you bring reference to was is your company culture holding you back? Now Chris is an HR specialist. He helps people recruit technicians, and that was remarkable results eight sixty four. Just in case, I'll make sure that both of those links are in our show notes in case anyone wants to reference them. Thank you. We have to retain our teams and we have to have a high retention. As I view and observe organizations, the, the, the ones that win and the ones that know where they're at on that roadmap and they can check that box, they, they have tremendous retention of team members. And it's very hard for people to leave them because they love working there. And it's not always about money. Whatever they've done to build that family environment uh, has kept people there. So. The next one is, is one that is, is always a, a difficult one, especially if you're not wired to do these things. And that, that's, you've got to have processes and procedures for everything, every single thing. And I mean 100%, right? Now, I do have a note in there. You manage only by exceptions, right? Everything else should be written down. For example, no one had a procedure or a process regarding the pandemic. That was a one-off. We all had to figure it out as we went. A lightning bolt, uh, you know, strikes a client in the in the parking lot. What do we do? Well, part of that's common sense, a discernment. We would not have a process and procedure for that. But there are so many categories that everything should be noted. Uh, we we know we we know most people learn by by video. So we are a big endorser of Trannual, using Trannual as a tool to put these uh, learning management systems in, these onboarding systems, these, these ways to do this. But along those same lines, this is what I challenge my leaders with, right? This is a living organism, this processes and procedures. You can't, you can't just rest on your laurels. 
sometimes you've got to delete ones that are they're just not healthy. They're not they're obsolete. You're not needed anymore. You've got to enhance them or look at enhancing them all times. And sometimes you have to develop. Uh, the great story there is ten years ago we did not have DVIs. If no one was saying, "Hey, what's a better way of doing this?" then we'd still be doing handwritten estimates. Which, which is not the more efficient, better way of doing it. it we, don't, we can't communicate as effectively doing it that way versus the, all the new tools and, and apps that we have now. So we've got to constantly be on our guard there. It, it really, these are all living documents. Apex 2023 is hard at work building the largest and most comprehensive expo in the nation. From vendor booths to Joe's garage with 10 working bays, Prepare to learn by doing and attending classes from some of the best and the brightest industry trainers that continually get superior rating from students. Register at aapexshow.com and choose your training classes like EVAP Diagnostics, the Analytical Test Drive, Diagnosing Keys and Immobilizer Systems, and a class on Is the Transmission to Blame, among 30 others. Yes, Apex has the industry's top classes and trainers in a new setting this year. Also find every top industry company ready to talk with you about your business needs and career. So if you earn your living in the automotive aftermarket, then Apex is for you. Plan your three days around Joe's Garage and see tools and equipment in action. Register now at aapexshow.com October 31st through November 2nd. Apex, now more than ever. Let's face it, your shop management system is the single most important tool in your shop, period. NapaTrax was built from the ground up to make your business more profitable and efficient. We provide an extensive set of tools to increase and track profitability in real time. NapaTrax offers the industry's best post-sale support, hands down, and we train your people on-site. Yep, on-site. And we offer remote refresher training 10 times a week, and customer support is open six days a week. Give us a call, visit the website, or join our Facebook community today to learn more. We'll prove to you that Trax is the single best shop management system in the business. Napa Trax is always customized and tailored for you, whether you're a one-man shop or a large multi-bay or multi-location company. After all, it's your shop, so it's your choice. Visit us on the web at NapaTrax, that's N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S dot com. Digital vehicle inspections, that whole thing is great. You know, maybe 30% of the industry uh, absorbed it, adopted it, brought it in, made it part of their business. But guess what? They didn't write a process around how it all should be done. And then what happens from this, quote, quote, total estimate up to what does the service advisor do with it? Is he quoting it? There's, there's stuff that can fall off the plate, if you will, if there's not a process written in the structure of how it works, what we pay, how what we quote, and how what our follow-up is. Just because we have it doesn't mean it's going to bring us stuff. My experience has been that we, we left out the technician's feedback, which was really critical, right? What is the most effective way to lay out a digital uh, visual uh, inspection as far as time and motion, right? As, as they're actually working through a car. And to your, to your points, car, which is really valid. So now we have this wonderful estimate, which by the way, is a great lead measure. It's a lead measure that really dictates the health of your whole organization, right? You have to have great inspections. We know every car has something on it unless it's brand spanking new. Then what do you do with that information, right? Do you estimate everything or do you leave certain things off? 
we've seen double bubbles here, right? And I've been tracking this for five years in surveys that we do internally. We used to have people go, all right, we're going to hit a $1,500 inspection to get to the 750 ARO that we're shooting for. And there's always about a 50% you know, close rate on that. Well, what we've seen is a, a larger group of people now move to this. And then there's a caveat here. So hear me out. They're going to show the client everything on the car, all $3,200 worth of stuff. But they're going to also initially pull off probably $1,500 and say, Mr. Mr. or Mrs. Client, here's what I want to make sure you understand. These are things that two to three years down the road, I'm going to make you aware of. Because at this point, your car will need the service. It'll mean this maintenance. We should absolutely look at uh, making uh, uh, a replacement of these parts here. And so then what they've done is their sales close rate has moved down, but they they now have have to your point, they now have not left it up to the individual what they're going to present and not present. We're going to present everything and then use your discretion to pull certain things off the, the plate and now allow them to make that purchase, build that relational trust consultative uh, interaction with the client. Then we'll go to work on the the yellows and the reds that are on the uh, you know the inspection. I've got an episode coming out uh, about service maintenance and moving away from the critical uh, repair that is a large part of our business. And my guest brought up this such an interesting challenge or think. And he basically said, look at Carm, uh, we've got this DVI on this vehicle and we did sell and replace the cabin air filter nine months ago and they're here for more work. Why are we going to inspect it again when we've already done it and we know that it's fine or According to the mileage driven, it needs to be replaced. Why are we doing work that we shouldn't have to do if the SA's job is to take that information and say to the customer, you're getting a cabin error because you got 75,000 miles? Working smarter, not harder, right? Use the tools we have and be detailed, right? Of course, we could have a whole other uh, conversation about the challenges between the sales personality, matching it with operations, and then administratively executing on it, right? Dan, it's about the data. We're having an issue where we've got all this great data, but not necessarily are all of the modules, the softwares, the add-ons, the APIs working together. And I think there's some brilliant people out there that are looking from the outside saying, ooh, we could probably do something really good for us to make us smarter, better, more streamlined, faster, and better salespeople. Why should we have to handle the clutter of data when it, it's already there? It needs to be algorithmed for us. Yeah, well, you can see AI will, will have a great impact on, on our industry the next couple of years. And I, and I hope everybody's willing to embrace that because you're right. The data is back there and we've got to figure out how to pull it together where, you know, it's embarrassing. I've seen it happen in person where, yeah, well, we're recommending a cabin filter. Well, wait a minute, I just had that done three months ago. Why are you recommending it again? And we, we look... we look unprofessional and we lose trust and credibility when we do those things. That's the next frontier is how do we get, gather all that information and help ourselves serve our clients? I just had a physical two weeks ago. My doctor said, okay, boom, boom, boom. How are you doing all these things? I had a, a little spot on my nose and right here, he said, I want, I, and I mentioned him and he said, I want you to go see the dermatologist. 
right? I mean, and then the notes go, the medical field has gotten really good at getting notes lined up. And for years, they were way behind the curve. And I worked in those verticals, so I saw the inefficiency involved in those things. They've gotten so much better at it. We've got an opportunity ahead of us too. And I look forward to hearing some of your guests uh, elaborate on that and help us all. By the way, I just had this wild thought. I actually try to, I love thinking on my feet, even though I have to pay attention to what you're saying. We've got all this data inside of our computers. It's there. It's on our servers. It's in the cloud. We go to our Dan Taylor Automotive Repair Shop AI cloud. It's my AI, not anyone's, but mine. And I say, Carm just came in with his car. They know my car. It's this this car. And he says, what does he need? Now, based on the last DVI, based on the miles driven from the last time, my AI could come up and give an outline to the DVI, to technician, and say, please carefully look at this based on everything else that we've seen in the miles driven and based on how often these tires are rotated or the chassis has been. And I think it would be the coolest thing to have AI be a partner in the DVI and in the sales process. Absolutely. It's an integral part of what we look at, right? Because when we get to these bottom three, when we talk about operational, uh, the importance of having a smooth operation, as well as their interaction with our customers and our and, and the administrative wing, all that bleeds right into working smarter, not harder, which is exactly what AI is going to do for us. It already does it now, right? And people get freaked out a little bit like, oh my God. You know what? We've already been using this. Gra- Gra- uh, Grammarly has been out for two decades. And I've been using that tool forever because I have dyslexia, right? I reverse things, you know, and, and when I'm writing them, and then also say, wait a minute, you need to move this here and this here, right? That does not offend me that the computer says, hey, there's a better way to write it because phonically I have some challenges as well as dyslexia. We're not known as the industry as, as a bunch of academic stud monkeys. And that's fine because all we have to really do is do a great job with clients and a great job with their vehicles and treat them in a humane manner. And we can we can win, right? And we can win in, in a very professional way. Yeah, I, I love your topic of AI. I know you had a, a, a previous podcast regarding that. I think we need to stay on the forefront of that, right? With, with uh, different organizations. How can we use this tool? It is a little bit discerning when uh, discouraging to hear only maybe a third, and I know you're very dialed into the entire market. If we only have a third of people using DVIs, we got to move that number, right? This is just an awesome, awesome tool. Um, engage computers, uh, that tool, it's a tool, right? It's no different than a hoe or a shovel or a, a, a fork uh, doing yard work, right? I mean, you got to have the right tool and it's the right tool to have. Every single day, I wonder where else can AI go? And all of a sudden, based on all these newsletters and the stuff that I read on a daily basis, I found out in Europe, they have the first AI on the air radio station with an AI DJ. Yes. And they're probably just going through data, right? And going, this is the most popular song. This is what we can say about it. You can clone someone's voice. You can stop for time and temperature and weather. And where else will AI show up? To me, that's my daily crazy thought. Where else is AI going to come from? We have got to trademark <laughs> your voice before they, they, uh, they try to duplicate you. I've already cloned my voice and I am, we are, Tracy and I behind the scenes are actually working on a few really wild, uh, you know, I'd like you to meet the AI Carm and then play it. And then, oh, and then see, that is awesome. We're, we're playing around with that. I think it would be so much fun for the listeners and myself in case I was down for the count. Yeah. 
AI, they're nowhere close to figuring out emotions. And they're nowhere close to that crazy ADH mind you have where your mind's always thinking of the next thought. They're not even close to ever getting to that spot. It, it really is data-based, and, and that's where I want to reassure people. They're not going to be able to do things that they don't have data on that we wouldn't probably come to the same conclusion with. All right, so the next one was make money, right? This is where I'm, I'm going to get on my capitalist. We are a capitalistic country. <laughs> we were founded on risk-taking. It's not a dirty thing to make money. In fact, it's really critical to your the stewardship of your organization, the financial healthy organization. No one wants to work for an organization that's unstable. And the way we bring that stability is that we make money and then we use those profits. Uh, one, we have to pay taxes. So even if somebody makes X amount, Uncle Sam has got his hand out, but we need to have cash reserves. We need to reinvest in, in equipment and uh, software and all those things. So making money is okay. In fact, the entire country runs on that concept of us making money. We're capitalists. I'm proud of it. I, I don't want to be involved in another ec uh, economic system. I love the fact that we reward people for being smarter, working uh, smarter, being uh, more efficient, being more gifted, whatever that is. Now, sometimes it gets a little out of whack. I just saw yesterday that uh, they, they signed the quarterback for the Chargers for uh, two, uh, a quarter of a billion dollars, so $50 million a year. And I think, but you know what? Entertain that's entertainment, right? So Americans have said that there's a value to that. And, and obviously they're working on an international crowd as well. That's a judgment call on mine. But everything else, minus some of these outliers with entertainment and some of those things, generally speaking, most of us are middle class folks trying to make a living and, and secure a, a better future for our kids as well as ourselves. And that requires making us, making us money. And I, it really saddens me, and I, and I don't want to overemphasize, it saddens me that people work so hard, but they did it for practice, or they bought themselves a job. Or somehow they don't feel that they should be making decent money when they decided to go into business to help people. You are helping people and they are willing to part with their money so that you can be successful and find a retirement, pay for college, have a nice home. Yeah. It is about mindset. You need to be mentally okay with making money and then whatever package you need to put it into, whether that's gifting it, whether it's, it's building a stronger organization, whether it's compensating your people and helping them with their future, whatever that looks like. You got to be okay with making money, and we're here to make money. Good deal. All right, the next three. The next three, these are three controllables. I repackage them in a different delivery, but uh, sales. We have to sell, right? We're in the relationship-based business, right? And that's your terminology. I love it. We have to educate clients. And to your, you mentioned this uh, probably 20 minutes ago. If we only fix vehicles, and there's some shops that do that, and I have, I have co coached them and consulted them and visited them. It is really hard when all you do is fix broken stuff. If we want to work smarter and we really want to serve our clients better, we need to mix in uh, maintenance. Because 20, 30 years ago, and I was involved in this industry back then too, there was a lot of broken cars. And there's less and less broken, broken cars and we have to shift. The landscape moved. We have to move over to more maintenance. And here's my argument, and I am a tightwad beyond tightwads. Your vehicle is your second most costly asset. This is about asset preservation. My three vehicles average 16 years with over 200,000 miles. I am not buying a new car. 
I invest in my vehicles, uh, obviously coming out of FedEx and some of the transportation. I know the power of maintenance. If you maintain these vehicles and you treat them right, they will treat you right. So um, it's critical that we educate our clients, that we overcome objections. We, we've got to push back a little bit. I'm not saying obnoxious and I'm not saying cross any integrity lines, but there is no reason why uh, an ARO can't improve with a little bit more time with a client non-transactional, but relationship-based time with a client to help them understand the importance of either safety, reliability, or asset preservation. And I love asset preservation because I'm passionate about the other two. And then logically, the asset preservation is where I usually feel very, very comfortable persuading, moving, encouraging a client to do something that maybe they don't perceive needs to be done to their vehicle. Especially since we're living paycheck to paycheck. 40% 40% of the country does, yep. I saw a commercial for a, uh, a BMW the other day, and I was wondering if I was the right demographic to see it because the it was $800 to lease the car. Well, the, the average right now is, is $750 to $800 for a car payment for seven years. And, and right now, we're, we're right at a $50,000 new car average. So obviously, euros are more than that. So that had to have been probably a lease option. Uh, but I think, wow, $800 a month. Within the budget, I set aside two grand a year for, for each vehicle. And I don't always spend it, but you know, it is what it is. There is a cost of having a vehicle. We want transportation, the freedom to go where we want, when we want, and not be at the mercy of uh, public transportation, et cetera, et cetera. So I think educating clients on that is really important, as well as really discovering what their needs are, right? I mean, where, where, I mean, if they want to turn over a car every three or four years, that is their prerogative. But there's a, the sweet spot, and, and then we could talk about this as well. When you look at a market, 100% of the market's not your clientele, right? You've got 20, 30% that are going to go buy new cars. You have 20 or 30% that don't have any money, period, and they have to do it themselves or get their buddy to do it in their garage or whatever. You start narrowing the scope, most of the time, we're down to 15 to 30% on the high end of an actual market that's actually your client, your, your avatar, right? Your clients that make sense you working with them. And that's not to say that we wouldn't want to be receptive to everybody, but some people are not going to be able, be able to afford us. Other people don't need us because they're just going to go buy a new car. And then we've got to narrow the scope in the middle. But at the end of the day, we have to sell. And that is not a dirty word either. It's no more dirty than the word we need to make money, right? We, we do need to sell something to make this thing move. I love your analogy about FedEx, if they know maintenance. And so as we get, have to do a paradigm shift into maintenance, Dan, uh, which I, I've been talking about on this show for like five, six years now, we need to find the words the word pictures to help our people understand that we'd love you to come back. We're going to have you back. We're going to book an appointment for the next scheduled maintenance routine so that you have less breakdowns and you have less repairs and we can, we can make this car last 250, 300,000 miles. And we learned all of this from FedEx. Whoa. Now there's a picture. Believe me, they had data points. Um, and I also worked for the, uh, what, what uh, is still now the, the world's largest uh, fleet maintenance organization. We had literally tens of millions of, of pieces of equipment that we would track in multiple countries with multiple uh, clients. So yes, maintenance. I've always been an advocate of maintenance coming out of the transportation world. We knew if you followed the maintenance intervals, you could extend the life of the vehicle and you, could, you would also avoid costly repairs. 
the narrative of trying to not scare a client, but educate them into understanding that the, the repercussions of you choosing not to do this, the consequences could be this is a $5,000 repair instead of a $195 flush. And trying to package that where we're not trying to intimidate them, scare them into doing something they shouldn't do. The good news is most of manufacturers already publish that stuff. I mean, to my knowledge, right? They've got their maintenance intervals, right? And that's why the dealerships, you know, just roll that out. It's gold. It's already there. We just need to have the proper AI, if you will, to take the manufacturer's suggested, our suggested. We probably know better than some of the OEs do when it comes to dropping, you know, transmission fluid on a CVT where they say 100 and the rest of the world says 50. So we have to blend what we know we we need to do, what they recommend, the miles the car has on it. And I think we're going to evolve. I think we're going to have more service maintenance lanes or bays and less repair. But our our diagnostic opportunities are going to go up because of the complications of the vehicle. I think we're going to do we're going to do a whole lot more. We need mechanical people, but we also need people that are going to do the routine service maintenance work. Anyway, don't mean to go off track again, but very healthy conversation. Thank you. So our last two points, the next one is operations. We need to have productive technicians, right? Which if you look at the lag measure slash, you know, integrated KPI of uh, effective labor rate, our most costly thing is labor. If we don't, if we don't manage that, we don't win. We don't go back to number four on that other list of making money. You will lose money if you're not productive. And I we I use specifically use the word productive for two reasons and not efficiency. Efficiency is per job, productive production is hours produced the hours you were there. The reason why I go down that track is it's much easier to measure. And psychologically, it makes sense. If I'm a technician and I'm there eight hours and I still banked seven hours, I feel like I had a pretty good day, right? Minus, you know, the complications of what goes on in the shop and the part didn't show up and blah, blah, blah. If I bank 10 hours, I feel great. You can be 200% efficient in the morning and 50% productive for the day because you sat around all afternoon. That does not help an organization win, and it doesn't help the individual win as a team member. So we, we have to have productive techs. We know that the kind of the golden standards are about 85% for general repair, roughly 100% for Euro. You get into specialties, you should be over 110% uh, because you've, you've really narrowed your scope. And a lot of specialty shops will carry some inventory because they've seen the same models over and over again. So that's really important. Quality assurance. My goodness, if you want to blow up a shop fast, it'll, you'll kill yourself if you are um, uh, having comebacks nonstop, right? By the way, our definition or my definition, and I always ask people what it is, it's whatever the customer had to come back for because it's their perception that matters, not ours. And then you can dig into the numbers after that. So uh, quality assurance is key. And then also a smooth operation, right? Some of the most productive slash efficient slash proficient shops I've ever seen everybody's calm. They're not running around with uh, the chickens, uh, like chickens with their heads cut off. So you can measure all those things. Just go look at them, right? And that's another part of this roadmap is we, we have to have productive uh, folks. And, and, we've, and, and, and this came out of the dispatch conversations, right? I, I did some follow-up surveys on that. Guess what? The, the number was between 60 and 70% of tech productivity is directly influenced by what the front did. And that's across the board with dozens and dozens of people. I just said, hey, just taking a random survey. What, what do you guys think? 60, 60 to 70% of everybody agreed that range 
is the front dictates how productive a person can be in the back. Obviously, we could have another uh, webinar on that because it goes back to the art and and science of dispatch, which is so, so critical. You're absolutely right. And that's the word I was just going to use. That is the art of making this whole thing gel. And I think it's the new frontier of training, Dan. I, I think there's going to be more concentration on the customer service experience, on being able to sell, being able to communicate front to back, back to front. And I think it's going to require... As I th- we talked about dispatch parts person in a growing shop, we're putting too much pressure on that front counter. Yeah, which which I know we've had the conversations about putting a production person in there, a estimator in there, a dispatcher in there. So we need to continue to have these conversations because I, I think that is a glaring area of opportunity that will make a difference in all those other things, profitability, retention of clients, retention of, of team members. So you can see all these things all fit, fit together, right? And, and you can't take your eye off of one and just focus on the other. They have to be in, in, in uh, orchestrated. You have to look at them all, all the time. And then the last one, right, is the forgotten child, right? If we look at a three-legged stool here, it's the admin, right? You got to have uh, timely financials. If, if you don't, I mean, we see people get caught in cash flow challenges and that because that comes because they're, they're not monitoring things as they go along, make sure they're, they're up to date on those. You got to know your KPIs and, and there's certain ones I ask people to measure. I don't get, you get folks that want to measure 80 things. Lead measures are what matter, not, not leg measures. Those come afterwards. Um, so you've got to look at opportunities. You've got to look at close rate. You have to look at your client retention. Those things all add up into what what happens on with 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 your average ARO is right. People go, what's the most? Where do I start? Well, it's not your ARO. It actually started way before that, including as my colleague Jason Servini would say, answering the phone is the first KPI, right? How was the phone answered? Were you able to secure an appointment? Were you able to to make a positive impact on that person, right? And we have tools internally that we measure uh, that with with uh, some phone audit. And then finally, prompt paperwork, right? We've got warranty stuff needs to be turned in, course. I've been in shops where I look and there's three months worth of course sitting there. I've been in shops where they had literally $20,000, dollars $40,000 worth of return sitting there. And at some point, the parts shot go hey wait a minute here you ordered that part from us three years ago it's now obsolete i'm not taking it back you end up eating that money so the admin part and by the way carm this is where i find most failure happens people can do sales or they can do operations they do both but then they pretend like the admin part doesn't exist and and the packaging i put in it this is the broccoli brussels sprouts and uh, and lima beans. They're good for you. They don't always taste that good, but we have to do them. We have to do these things for success. And, and part of this roadmap requires us to do these things and understand where we are with these things. It would be no different than knowing your fuel mileage, knowing how, how, how full the tank is. When do I stop at the next gas station on a road trip? So the roadmap analogy, these seven things we've talked about, monitor these seven things and I I will guarantee you'll have success. I totally love the analogy or or, or your discussion on the, the the amount of parts that are laying there, both cores, alleged defectives and and new returns. If you're really paying attention to cash flow and your your balance sheet and where your investment is and accounts payable, you'll see it there. But if if your accountant isn't challenging this and realizing that you got $20,000 of cash sitting there and you're wondering why you can't pay your bills. That's near and dear to my heart. Uh, thank you for bringing that up. They all go together, don't they, Carl? 
it's a spider web, if you will, of, of connectivity that it all, if you will, goes into the center and gives you a great company, wealth stream, good pay for your people, good standing in the community, uh, up here in the industry that people care to hear about what you have to say. I mean, you think about what top tier people are all about. You know them. And guess what? They're still working every day to get better. Absolutely. It's a never ending, right? You don't arrive. You never arrive and you got to be okay with that. Never arrive and, and never quit. You know, thank you for bringing me this, uh, you know, the roadmap to success. I think it was excellent points. I think we can all learn a ton of things from this. All of Dan's great points will be in the, in the show notes in case you just want to get them, pull them, look at them and say, I love these 10 key points that Dan said. I'm going to go out and bust my hump and work on that. So Dan Taylor, wow. Transformer, Senior Business uh, Advisor. Thank you so much for bringing me this. I know we can, we can advance the aftermarket with this kind of good stuff. Appreciate you being a champion of that, Carm. I, uh, the more I get to know you and, and have over the years, I, I can't, from everybody, thank you for the continued efforts and, and desire and passion to, to make a difference. And we're making a difference. So here's how it works. You're sitting there with a burning idea and you'd love to come on and share it. Dan picks up the phone, he emails me, he says, I got a great idea, what do you think? We, we flush it out, he sends me notes, I get the PowerPoint, we do the show. So anyone who may be listening that has something, it, you can be Dan Taylor too. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't duplicate me, it'll make the world uh, uh, not, not such a good place. You but, can be uh, like Dan Taylor. Hey, th- hey, buddy, thanks so much for this, appreciate thank it. Thank you, Carm. Honored. Have a great day. You too. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.